You're listening to the Pines Church Podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. All right. Good morning, everyone. Yes, good morning. It's a beautiful morning. It's a little windy, but the sun is out. It looks gorgeous. I'll take it over all this rain that we've been getting. And I just love this time of year, Christmas season. Uh, People seem to be a little bit nicer, some people. And um, I just think, I I know, because I've seen this through experience, that people's hearts become a little bit more tender to the things of God, and the people become a little bit more open. And they're usually open to an invite to church. So I highly encourage you to invite people to our Christmas Eve service so that they can hear the greatest story ever told because everyone deserves to know. And as I've, my tenure in the church and, you know, bouncing around from different states, it amazes me. And I think we take for granted sometimes those of us that have been in the church for a while that, oh, everybody just knows the Christmas story. And I can tell you from experience that there are many people out there that have absolutely no idea, have never heard the Christmas story. So what an opportunity we have to be able to share that great story with our coworkers, with our friends, with our neighbors, and people we haven't even met yet. So I would encourage you to just position your heart in such a way that you're looking for those opportunities, because I don't think you have to pray for those opportunities. I, I believe we're surrounded with those opportunities. We just sometimes have these blinders on. We're just going about our day. But if you pray to have eyes to see, and that's what Jesus was really trying to get at with the disciples. Pray for eyes to see. They had eyes, but they didn't have eyes to see what was going on around them. They had ears, but he said, pray for ears to be able to hear my voice. So you're not listening to Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas, okay? You got to hear me, the voice within the voice, which I don't mind that song, but anyway, my iPad. Okay, here we go. Are you guys ready to study the Word of God? Yes, okay. A couple of yeses. Well, you're in the wrong place if you know it, so. Um, How many of you remember as a kid uh, Christmas coming and feeling like it was taking forever? I have six kids, and I can tell you right now, they are having a hard time with processing when Christmas is actually coming because they see all the signs around them. They hear hear Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas. They see the Christmas trees out. Uh, Candy canes are being given out at every function. And so they ask, like, when is Christmas again? And they're like, tomorrow? And you're like, dude, no, it's not tomorrow. We got a lot, you know, a lot longer. And they can't quite get their mind around it. So sometimes they're up, sometimes they're down. They're, you know, some of them have cried because they thought it was the next day after Thanksgiving. And you're trying to explain to their little minds why. Because they see all the signs around them, but they actually have no concept of time, Right? And some of us as believers, we struggle with that very same thing. Because God has spoken a promise over our life, and we haven't seen that promise manifested. And so we start, we may have seen signs of that promise around. And so we think, when is this going to happen? And so we ride these highs and we ride these lows, because really we have no idea of the function of time on God's timeline. Because you have to remember, God is outside of time. He created time, but he's also in time. It's one of those beautiful mysteries that we'll never quite be able to wrap our minds around, which is why it requires faith. But it's a journey and it's an adventure. 
You know, truth isn't subjective, but it is subject to a journey. We have this journey that we get to take with God in walking out this beautiful life and the mystery of him always being and always will be. It's like a bottomless hole. You can't quite imagine it. Your mind can't wrap around it, which is why it requires faith. And I think sometimes in the church, we've made the mistake of offering short and pithy answer, pithy, P-I-T-H-Y, not the other one, <laughs> pithy answers, and it just means curt and short answers to life's large questions, which has disenfranchised a lot of believers and people that have come to church and said, you know what, like I'm just walking away. And we remove the mystery and trying to contain God in a formula, in a box that we can manage. But I just gonna, I'm here to tell you that God's not going to fit in any of your theological boxes. He always was and he always will be. And so I want to take the next few minutes to share the beginning of the Christmas story. We're going to be going through the entire Christmas story all the way leading up to Christmas Eve Eve. Um, service. And I don't want to take for granted that some of you may have heard this a million times, but some of you may have never heard this before. And it's important that we take the time to remember because often there are parts that we forget, right? Which is why you'll find all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament to remember. To and that doesn't automatically happen. You have to position yourself, carve out time to remember and to read the story of in scripture. And so I want to begin with Romans 8.25. This is out of the NLT. I believe they have it up on the screen and it says, but if we look forward to something we don't yet have, which is every single one of you, every single one of you is looking forward to something that you yet, that you don't yet have. <laughs> maybe that's a dream. Maybe that's a spouse. Maybe that's a new career, whatever it is, there's something that God has placed on the inside of you. And none of us are ever going to arrive and say, I'm good. I don't need anything else, God. Okay? Because God literally has so much. He has more than we could ask, think, or imagine. So we're continuing on. That we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Those two words, patiently and confidently. Now, most people, if you ask them, would consider themselves a pretty patient person. But just let me ask you this question. Whenever I begin to think like, yeah, I'm a pretty patient guy. I ask myself, when was the last time I burned the roof of my mouth eating pizza? Because I couldn't wait for it to cool down. And that's usually a pretty good answer or giving yourself a brain freeze um, with ice cream because you ate it too fast and you couldn't just patiently lick it, you know, one lick at a time. Um, we struggle with patience, especially in a microwave society where everything's instantaneous. I remember back in the days of like dial up with the internet and it was like, ding, and like Skynet was coming through your computer and you had to wait like forever just to be able to get online. Anybody remember that? Yeah, some people. Okay, now if I have two seconds of that little swirling circle, I'm like, oh, I'm like irritated, right? I have no patience. Or when you go through a drive-thru and you don't get it like instantaneously or the worst was like, can you go ahead and park over here? And you're like, oh, and you're like a little kid. And you get like, heaven forbid, you wait two extra minutes for your Egg McMuffin. But we struggle with patience. But the Bible encourages us all throughout Scripture to allow patience to have its perfect work. Patience is doing something in us. 
And just like we look at those kids and we recognize that like there's a process to them receiving certain responsibilities and being given certain permissions, God is looking down at us and he's allowing time to develop inside of us the character to be able to steward and handle the promise that he's given us. Because if we received the promises on our timeline and not God's timeline, many of us would mess up that relationship or would screw up that opportunity. And so God cares about us enough that he's going to allow time to develop the character, the integrity, to be able to steward and take care of the promise that he has further down the road. Christmas is a season that reminds us that God always makes good on his promises. And I know when we're patient, sometimes we can lack confidence, right? Did God really say? That's how the enemy got into Eve's mind, right? And so we begin to say, well, maybe this wasn't, maybe I just made this up. Maybe God was never wanted me to step out into this. Or we enter into a relationship and we begin to self-sabotage it, right? Because we're not confident that we hear the voice of the Lord. You know, if you look in the Christmas story, the prophet Isaiah prophesied the coming of the Messiah. In Isaiah 7:14, he said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So here is Isaiah prophesying into the future that God is going to send his son. And they were on the lookout for that. But they had no idea that went from the words rolling off Isaiah's lips that it would take 700 years for that promise to be fulfilled. I know many of us wrestle when it takes more than a week or a year or two years. But there are so many stories in scripture. Abraham waiting for the promise of a son. Joseph waiting for the promise to become a prince of Egypt where people had to wait. And while those people were waiting, it wasn't necessarily the most comfortable of situations. Looking at the life of Joseph, you know, when, we, when the Bible introduces us to the life of Joseph, he's a young teenager, he's a little bit braggadocious, you know, with his brothers, but there's something that happened to him in that prison cell that shaped his character, that steadied his faith and allowed his trust in the Lord, despite his circumstances, to develop a character and integrity where he was found himself in the audience of Pharaoh, giving him direction for the future. And so God has a purpose in our wilderness, so to speak, seasons where we're waiting for the promise. 2 Peter, 8, 2 Peter 3 says this, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. So some of us think of slowness as Chick-fil-A line, which Chick-fil-A is pretty good, right? I mean, they're, they're pretty good at getting your stuff, but we can relate to other places. We think, okay, you're not slow because you, you're slow because you didn't get this to me in two minutes. 
But it says, instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, God is eternal. He's always existed and he always will exist. In addition, he exists outside of time and he's also inside of time. He sees the past, he sees the present, and he sees the future. Not only that, but just as I was sharing over little baby Ava's life, Psalm 139, 16 says that every moment of your life was recorded before a single day had passed. God knew what your life was going to look like. He penned every single moment. And no one is more passionate about seeing you walk in the fulfillment of that purpose, of those dreams, of that destiny, than God. He, he's also promised that he'll never leave nor forsake you. So he's literally walking alongside you to see these promises unfold. But in the midst of it, when we don't see the signs, our faith gets tested, Right? Do we really believe this or are we going to take matters into our own hands? And there are plenty of warnings all throughout scriptures, scripture of people that took matters into their own hands and birthed problems and issues. And so what Peter is saying, what seems slow to us in the natural is right on time with God. And the Christmas story, bringing this back full circle, gives us an account of two different perspectives in regarding to waiting and in regard to miracles. Because I really believe that the Christmas season is a birthing ground for miracles. God, and it's this. And what I want to do is I want to read Luke 1 to you. And as I was preparing for today, I thought to myself, you know, I was thinking about what I was going to share. I was thinking about the different points and sometimes as pastors, we can fall into the trap of getting real cute with God's word, like almost wanting to hear our own voice above the word of God. Like, I'll read this scripture, but then I want to really illustrate these, these points. And I heard the Holy Spirit, as I was putting this together, really bring correction and say, you know, if you just read the scripture, they're going to get way more out of that than anything that you have to share in regards to that. So I think it's important. And I know this may feel like you're going back to fourth grade and your teacher is reading you, you know, a chapter book. But I want to read this to you because I don't want to assume that everybody in this room has heard the Christmas story. So we're going to the beginning of Luke. And actually what's interesting about Luke is that it records the story of John the Baptist, who John the Baptist came before Jesus and whose life was meant to prepare the way for Jesus. So I think it's important to go all the way back to the beginning. So this is Jesus's origin story, right? And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read this. And I believe that we have it up on the screen in case you don't have your Bible. Um, by the way, just out of curiosity, how many people have a physical Bible in their hand? I'm just curious if you just go ahead and put your hand up. Okay, it's cool. No judgment. You know, not saying that a, you know, Bible on your phone is any less effective. I just, I just find it interesting. Here we go. Ready? Okay. In the days of Herod king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And then 
appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. I love that. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call him or name him rather John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord of their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And in the sixth month, you guys doing okay? We'll continue to read, okay? In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. So now Gabriel's going somewhere else to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her saying, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be, as would all of us if all of a sudden an angel appeared in this room. That's my commentary, not from the scripture. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according 
to your, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Last paragraph I want to read to you today. And in those days, Mary arose, went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she centered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt inside of her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of the Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I know that that is a lot of scripture, but it's important that we get the context of that story. Two different women, two different scenarios, two different waitings, two different miracles. And we're going to take the time to, over the next few minutes to break down all of that. I want to take these moments to, to compare and contrast the lives of John the Baptist and Jesus. Both children are announced in advance by the angel Gabriel, right? Both births, births are miraculous, and in both cases, the angel actually tells them, the mothers, or mother and father, what they should name their sons. God sends Gabriel, the angel, beforehand to predict these pregnancies rather than sending him afterwards to explain them because he wants to demonstrate unmistakably to Zechariah and to Mary that God had a plan and has a plan for their life. That this is God's work. These births weren't unusual coincidences found by God and then twisted into something. Well, here's the testimony. They were ordained. They were ordered. And before Zechariah ever knew and before Mary ever knew, God had planned this since the beginning of time. And in that same way, God has a plan over your life. I don't care how messy things look. I don't care how far away your dream seems. I don't care how long you've been barren, single, or broke, God has a plan for each and every single one of you. And he's going to make sure that the doors open at the right time. Your responsibility and what you bring to the table is to take him at his word, to believe his word, to not be given to unbelief, and to be patient as you walk this promise and these promises out. Even more important are the similarities than the contrast between John the Baptist and Jesus. John was, or, or the contrast rather, John was born to an aged sterile woman, right? And Mary was a virgin. John was an answer to prayer for Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Jesus was an answer to prayer for the world. But both Zechariah and Mary had two different responses. And this is what I want to hone in over the next few minutes. Because all of you have a promise that God has spoken over your life. And you have a choice. You can choose to respond the way that Zechariah responded. Or you can choose to respond the way that Mary responded. And so I just want to go ahead and take the opportunity to, to highlight these two. Number one, this is how Zechariah responded. Luke 1.8, and this is out of the message because I really think it brings it to life. Zechariah said to the angel, Do you expect me 
to believe this. So here's Zechariah. He's been praying for a son. The angel shows up in their temple and tells him, hey, you know what? You've been praying for this. First of all, how did the angel know that? Second of all, and God heard your prayers and he's going to reward you with a son. So here's Zechariah standing in the presence of this angel, a messenger sent from the Lord, sharing inside information that no one else should know except God. And still in the face of all of this, he questions God and he gives in to unbelief, which is why Gabriel said, you will be mute until the, time, until the birth of your son. And then Gabriel visits Mary and this is Mary's response. This is Luke 1.34. Mary said to the angel, but how I've never slept with a man. And so at first glance, you can say, well, both are just asking a question, right? But Mary's asking a question of how this is going to be possible, okay? Zechariah is asking a question, is basically, is basically saying that God's not capable of this miracle. So Mary had a question. Zachariah was questioning. Does that make sense? And I don't know how many of you have been waiting for a promise and you begin to question, you begin to question God. You begin to question God's motives. You begin to question God's intent. And then you get into a situation when things start to go sour or when things aren't going the way that you have anticipated or expected, you begin to blame God. And that grieves my heart and it grieves the heart of God because God is a giver, not a taker. That's how the enemy portrayed God to Adam and Eve originally when, at, when God said to Adam and Eve, you can eat of any tree in this garden. It's all yours. It's all yours. Anything you want, you just can't eat from this one tree. So God is a giver and he's just saying, stay away from this tree. And the enemy flipped it and said, yeah, who cares about those? He doesn't want you to have this one because... And all of a sudden, Eve started to look, God, look at God as a taker, as a withholder. And it twisted the way she saw God. And it twisted the way that she saw good and evil. Because remember, she looked at the tree and she, wasn't, she didn't eat of the tree because she was attracted to evil. Because the Bible says that she saw, she saw that the tree was good for eating and she tasted and ate. And so when we start to question God, it changes our perspective and all of a sudden, we can't discern between good and evil. What's good and evil for our life? And so Eve was attracted to the good side of the, knowledge, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But she was completely wrong because she wasn't obeying what God had said. And this is the enemy's tactic to get you to question what God has spoken over your life. And to question what God has said in your word. And if you swallow that pill, if you take that bait, it will, it, will, it will jade your, your sight and you'll open yourself up to all kinds of things that God didn't intend for you to have to walk through. So interestingly, you know, Mary, Mary was a teenager. She wasn't praying for this. Here's Zechariah, a righteous man, a prayerful man, and he's praying for these things. But he falls into unbelief. Thomas Watson had this quote, and I think this is so powerful. He said, there are no sins God's people are more subject to than unbelief and impatience. <laughs> we don't talk about those a lot in the church, right? Sure, we talk about the big ones like adultery, you know, 
the devil's lettuce, whatever. Like we talk about, we're all like consumed with these other ones. But patience is like, it's just kind of like a weakness or unbelief. Like, yeah, we all struggle with that. It goes, they are, re- they, are either, they are ready either to faint through unbelief or to fret through impatience. The Bible says in Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or questioning. What was Zechariah doing? Zechariah was questioning God. He was questioning Gabriel through God. It's okay to have questions. Mary had a question. She just said, hey, how is this going to happen? I've never even had sex before. That's kind of weird. I've never heard of that happening before. She's just asking God. God is not frustrated with your questions. Okay? But we slip into a place where we allow unbelief to take in our heart and it perverts and distorts the character of God when we give into unbelief. Remember, even at the burning bush, Moses had a lot of questions and God was extremely patient. But when Moses started to say, there's no way that this can happen, then God like flexed on him and said, who, who am I that I, you know, that I did this, I've done this. And he started to get a little, you know, frustrated with Moses. See, our faith and our patience shine like lights in a world blanketed in darkness. How do I, what do I want to say? I only got a few more minutes. See, complaining and grumbling, it essentially says, God, I don't like the way you're doing things. And if I were you, I would do things differently. And it starts to separate you from God. A lot of people don't view complaining and grumbling as pride. But that's exactly what it is. It puffs pride in your heart because it puts you in a perspective where you believe that you know the way your life should be unfolding. And God does not. And the Bible says that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. It requires humility to move forward in this life through patience. It requires a tremendous amount of humility. And humility isn't a destination, it's a journey. None of us are going to arrive in our 60s, in our 70s, and say, I have achieved the peak of humility. We can continue to surrender and die to ourselves. I often say this is like Shrek, right? There's layers. Ogres are like onions, not like parfait. And there's like these, these layers that we need to you know, die to. And this is part of the character being developed inside of us to be able to trust the Lord. There's something at play. God is at work behind the scenes. He sees everything from the beginning to the end. Hindsight's 2020. It's crystal clear. Well, God has hindsight moving forward. And so he sees what you need to navigate in order to be able to develop the trust and dependency on him. And so I want to encourage you this Christmas season, that whatever God has placed inside of your heart, to be patient, to speak life over it, to not give in to unbelief, to pray and to ask for discernment, to be able to recognize the whisperings of the enemy. And as the Bible commands in 2 Corinthians 10:5, to take those thoughts captive and to make them obedient to Christ. A thought left unchecked in your mind that stands in opposition to Scripture will begin to pervert the way that you see God and the way that you hear them. So you have a responsibility to guard this thing and to protect it 
and to make sure that you're not just allowing anything to come in because it shapes the way that you see the world. And the Bible says that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, by feeding on the word of God. And so let this be a season that you carve out time in your day to spend time in God's word, in God's presence, to incline your ear to hear him and to feed your faith, to believe and to trust for that thing that he's placed on the inside of you. I don't care what your parents have told you, what mean teacher or coach has told you that you're not good enough, you're never going to uh, amount to anything or, you know, I, I share this very often. There are some parents and they're doing the best that they can and they look at their children and then and they, uh, they're struggling with their math tests and they say, oh, you know what? You know, I didn't do very well in school either. You're just going to have to learn to work with your hands. And so then that child believes, well, I'm not smart. And then they begin to walk away from the, maybe the path that God has set before them. And so we have a responsibility to uproot those lies that choke out what God is trying to do in and through our life so that we can receive what God has for each and every single one of us. And I want to see you walk in the fruition of that. The Bible says the purpose in a man is this deep water, but the man of understanding draws it out. How often do we draw water? We need water every single day. So there's got to be this excavation in our spirits every single day of the dreams that he's placed on the inside of us. Mary could have walked away from that experience and began to allow unbelief to come into her heart if she opened herself up to the enemy. But instead, she was steadfast. She held, she held on to it. Zechariah, when he lost his speech, he knew that he had, he had blown it. And then when John the Baptist was born, he announced his name and his speech came back. And so I don't want to see any of you lose the joy of Christmas, lose the passion for what God has given you. And I want you to be open to be able to share the good news with everybody that comes in your life. And I'm going to ask you to stand and I just want to pray over you. I want to pray over you something that I've been praying over my children and I've been praying over my wife and been praying over our family. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. And as believers, I think we need bigger asks with a K, guys. Don't, don't cut that out and use it as a, with a K. We need bigger asks. We have not because we ask not. And I'm praying that this is the best Christmas of your life thus far. That this is the best Christmas that you have. It doesn't, it doesn't boil down to material things, but that your relationships flourish. That you have the opportunity to be able to give and to impact somebody's life for all of eternity. Maybe you buy somebody's groceries. Maybe you pay for gas for somebody. Maybe you open up an opportunity for somebody to be able to work somewhere. Maybe you provide somebody's Christmas presents for them unexpectedly. Or maybe you just take the time to pray over one. I shared with our team that there are many human beings that are walking through this world that have never had one person stop them and pray for them directly. 
That's hard for us to wrap our minds around as believers that come to church every Sunday and read, read the Bible, but there, there are people going through this world. And so if you had the presence of mind, the eyes to see and the ears to hear, the opportunities that are all around you to stop inside of Starbucks, to stop inside of Target, and to just say, hey, you know what? I don't know where you stand on the whole God thing, but I, I believe in God and he, he speaks to me and, and he just puts you on my heart. And I just want to pray. I, I just think he wants your attention to know, like, I see you. I don't want you to make anything up, but I want you to position your heart to hear from God and to look for those opportunities. I'm going to share this one thing real quick. I remember one day I was in, I was in Colorado Springs. That's where we came from. And we were at a store. And this is when Jess and I were just starting out. We were we, you know, we didn't eat Pizza Hut. We ate DiGiorno's. We didn't rent the new uh, movie at, at Blockbuster. We rented the old one because that was $4.99 and this was $2.99. We were just starting out. We just had pennies. We ate a lot of ramen, but it was a beautiful time. And um, I think we still do eat a lot. Anyway, um, and uh, it was Christmas time and there was this woman and it was a self-checkout, right? And she, she had like a couple of bags of groceries and she was, she was ringing them up herself. And I I heard, and this doesn't happen all the time, but I heard the Holy Spirit say, I want you to pay for her groceries. Well, I started to look in my own natural eyes and she was wearing like a Toomey jacket and she had like one of those keys that doesn't have a key on it to start her car. It was a Range Rover. And I'm kind of thinking, man, I got this busted Buick Regal, you know, that smells like smoke from the previous owner. I got, I really didn't have a lot of money. I'm like, it's almost going to be an insult. I started sizing this woman up, started judging her. And I started looking at the perspective through my own eyes. And I'm having this conversation with God. Like, is this me? Anybody ever have, is this me? Or is this really you, God? Let me just tell you something. You're not that good. If God puts it on your heart to buy, that's God. And so I just said, you know what? I'm going to be obedient, Lord. I'm going to go up to her. Because I'm thinking she doesn't need it. And so I go up to her. She's got a big bling ring too. She had a, it's kind of, the, kind of like if the light just hits it, you're like, this is like, anyway. So I go up to her and I say, hey, um, you know, I don't know where you stand in your belief of God, but, you know, I have given my life to God, and he's blessed me so many ways, and he, I was just over here minding my own business, and he, he, he drew my attention to you, and I, I know that the Lord has asked me to pay for your groceries, and she looked at me kind of like I thought she was going to, and she's like, I don't need you to buy my groceries. That's exactly what she said, and I said, yeah, I, can, I, I didn't think you did. I said, I think it's more about that God wants you to know that he sees you, And I get emotional because that woman's, it's like her whole demeanor changed and she started bawling. And I paid for her groceries and she just thanked me like three or four times and she hugged me. And you just never know what people are going through. And we have the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So I encourage you this Christmas season to just be open to the opportunities that are all around and to share a word, to offer to pray. You have no idea what it could mean to somebody. It could be the very breakthrough that they've been praying and believing for just to know that God sees them. So I'm going to pray over you for those opportunities. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for every single person under the sound of my voice. I thank you, Father, that you spoke the message that everyone in this room needs to hear and every single one of us need to hear something different. Lord, I thank you that you are working on us, that we are becoming more sensitive 
to your leading. And I ask for the discernment of these men and women to be sharp. I pray that this Christmas season would be filled with miraculous signs, wonders, and miracles that you would impress upon their heart in the late night hours, in the early morning hours, and in the mid, mid, midday hours, words that they can share, prayers that they can offer, things that they can give and provide and help to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that through every action performed and every word spoken, that you would receive all the glory and all the honor. Lord, this is all about you. We love you with all of our heart, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much. Have an amazing day, and I'll meet you out in the foyer. Till next week, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to the Pines Church Podcast, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.